Hello, everyone, and welcome to the April 16 edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd Skirin, Mnookin, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A federal judge pushing for a settlement in lawsuits seeking to hold drug companies responsible for their roles in the U.S. opioid epidemic set an aggressive schedule that would have the first trial take place in less than a year. U.S. District Judge Dan Polster in Cleveland picked three lawsuits by municipalities and counties in Ohio to be the first cases against drug manufacturers and distributors to face a jury. The judge is overseeing at least 433 lawsuits largely by cities and counties and has been pushing for a global settlement. But roadblocks have emerged, and the companies have asserted forcefully that they cannot reach final settlement without litigating certain matters. Thus, the trial scheduling order was intended to address this impediment. The March 18, 2019 trial date will put the Ohio cases ahead of a May 2019 trial previously scheduled and a lawsuit by Oklahoma's Attorney General in state court. They will include the City of Cleveland, Cuyahoga County, and Summit County. Discovery and depositions will proceed until then, and the trial date may be delayed or scuttled altogether if a settlement is reached. Additional trials are expected to be scheduled in lawsuits by local governments in West Virginia, Illinois, Alabama, Michigan, and Florida. These cases were picked for so-called bellwether trials, essentially test cases used in mass litigation in the United States to help both sides gauge the range of damages and define settlement options. The court also ordered the DEA to turn over critical data that would allow plaintiffs to assess to what extent the company sold or distributed drugs in the six states at issue. The next settlement conference is set for May 10. To date, no public information is available that would indicate any California workers' compensation carrier or self-insured employer is seeking a cost recovery based upon theories in these cases. And now our crime report. Ventura County officials are investigating a fired health care manager's claims of irregular and fraudulent financial practices in the county's public medical system. The allegations were cited in a $5.24 million retaliation claim filed against the county last year by Timothy Patton, the chief deputy director and number two person in the Ventura County Healthcare Agency for most of 2016. Patton said he had identified more than $100 million in activities he suspected were aimed at defrauding government agencies, the Ventura County Board of Supervisors, financial rating agencies, and bondholders. In Patton's view, county officials had violated laws related to employment as well as abuse and fraud of Medicare and Medi-Cal, the government's insurance programs that cover the bulk of patients in the Ventura County Medical Center system. Patton settled his retaliation claim with the county for $151,000 in severance pay and an agreement that also required him to provide the factual basis for his allegations. Then a team of county legal and health care officials has been investigating his information for the past seven months. 
So far, that county council claimed no evidence of broad losses, waste, or fraud was identified in an analysis of the information. However, a few questions Patton raised about licensing issues at clinics and the size of physician payments did merit further review. The questions involved whether physician timesheets were accurate and some doctors were paid over the recommended rates and outside the normal review process. An accounting firm may be asked to look at remaining issues, and the probe is expected to be completed sometime this year. Two physicians pleaded guilty in San Diego Federal Court admitting to their role in prescribing expensive and unnecessary medications as part of a $65 million fraud against the military's health care system. 53-year-old Carl Lindblad and 31-year-old Susan Vergott, who worked for Choice MD in Cleveland, Tennessee, wrote nearly 4,500 total prescriptions in the span of a year and a half as part of the scheme. Military members in San Diego were paid to recruit Marines and their family members to participate in a fake medical study, which included speaking to a doctor in a telemedicine session and being prescribed compound medication. Lindblad and Vergat admitted to writing the prescriptions despite never examining the patients in person. These prescriptions were sent to a pharmacy in Bountiful, Utah, which would bill TRICARE Health Insurance an exorbitant amount of money for the specialized medicine. Compound prescriptions are much more expensive than standard medicine because they are custom-made by pharmacists to tailor to a patient's special needs. TRICARE put a stop to filing prescriptions, filling prescriptions using non-FDA-approved ingredients used in compound prescriptions after an audit uncovered suspicion of fraud. The two doctors pleaded guilty to charges of conspiracy to commit health care fraud and are scheduled to be sentenced in June. The medical clinic's owners, Jimmy and Ashley Collins, are also charged in the investigation and have pleaded not guilty. Prosecutors allege the couple made $45 million in the scheme using the money to buy property around Tennessee, Aston Martin cars, and a yacht. CFK Incorporated, the owner of the Medicine Shop Pharmacy in Utah at the time, is also charged. Last month, Joshua Morgan, a former San Diego Marine, pleaded guilty to his role as a recruiter in the case. An Oxnard business owner pleaded guilty to four felony insurance code violations related to workers' compensation payments. Prosecutors said 52-year-old Victor Vega made fraudulent statements to reduce the cost of workers' compensation insurance for his company, Vega's Cleaning Service. Vega also admitted special allegations that the crimes involved the taking of more than $200,000. Prosecutors claimed that he systematically underreported more than $1 million in payroll to his workers' comp carriers. Vega will be sentenced this June and faces a maximum of 10 years in state prison and could be ordered to pay up to $429,000 in restitution. 
And Elizabeth Hernandez, a Salinas resident and former caregiver with ResCare Home Care, pled guilty to insurance fraud and welfare fraud, both felonies. She will be sentenced in June. Last year, the district attorney received an investigative lead from the workers' comp insurer for her employer, ResCare Home Care. According to the referral, Ms. Hernandez sustained a work injury in September 2015 and was ultimately placed on unable-to-work status. Despite that restriction, she obtained a second caregiver job with the County of Monterey. She received income from that second job in 2016, but failed to disclose that information to either ResCare Home Care or to her workers' compensation doctors. Had she disclosed her second job, the workers' comp benefits would have been reduced. During the investigation, it was also determined that she failed to report her second job to the Department of Social Services and illegally obtained income and benefits. Last April, the District Attorney's Workers' Comp Fraud Unit filed felony charges against Ms. Hernandez for insurance fraud, welfare fraud, and perjury. Omitting to disclose material information in order to obtain benefits from a workers' comp insurer is a felony that carries a maximum penalty of five years in state prison and a fine of up to $50,000. Failing to disclose employment income with the intent to obtain welfare benefits is also a felony that carries a maximum penalty of three years in state prison and a maximum fine of five thousand dollars. A former San Diego County Sheriff's deputy was sentenced to three years of probation and 100 days in custody. 40-year-old Matthew Tobolski, Tobolski pleaded guilty last month to a felony charge of making a misrepresentation to get an unearned benefit. The case began when he was seen lifting heavy weights after filing workers' compensation claims for a back injury, which he said left him unable to do even light duty for most of last year. Prosecutors say the five-year veteran of the Sheriff's Department filed the bogus claims after he pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor vandalism charge last year stemming from a domestic violence incident with his spouse. Prosecutors unsuccessfully argued that Tobolsky be sentenced to 270 days behind bars, but the court agreed to let Tobolsky do his custody time in a work furlough program. A hearing was scheduled for May 30 to discuss requested restitution of more than $84,000. Before he was sentenced, Tobolsky apologized to everyone involved and said he plans to reenter society as a productive citizen. And in regulatory news, the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Justice Healthcare Fraud and Abuse Control Program published their annual report for fiscal year 2017. The federal government won or negotiated over $2.4 billion in healthcare fraud judgments and settlements in 2017. And it attained additional administrative impositions in healthcare fraud cases and proceedings. As a result of these efforts, as well as those of preceding years, $2.6 billion was returned to the federal government or paid to private persons. 
of this $2.6 billion, the Medicare trust funds received transfers of about $1.4 billion and $406.7 million in federal Medicaid money was similarly transferred separately to the Treasury. In the same year, the Department of Justice opened 967 new criminal health care fraud investigations. Federal prosecutors filed criminal charges in 439 cases involving 720 defendants. A total of 639 defendants were convicted of health care fraud-related crimes during the year. The DOJ opened 948 new civil health care fraud investigations and had 1,086 civil health care fraud matters pending at the end of the fiscal year. The FBI efforts resulted in over 674 operational disruptions of criminal fraud organizations and the dismantlement of the criminal hierarchy of more than 148 health care fraud criminal enterprises. HHS and the Office of the Internal General also excluded 3,244 individuals and entities from participating in Medicare, Medicaid, and other federal health care programs. HHS OIG also issued numerous audits and evaluations with recommendations that when implemented would correct programs vulnerabilities and save program funds. Well, is $448 enough compensation for a full day's work for a certified interpreter servicing a hearing and deposition in California? Well, what about $225 for half a day's work? The DWC wants to know, so it is seeking public comment on the proposed interpreter fee schedule regulations it posted to its online forum on April 2nd. And some of the interpreters who are responding to the newly proposed free regulations do not think it's enough. Early comments to the proposed interpreter fee schedule centered on the amount of fees, essentially claiming that they are inadequate. One complained about the percentage of the interpreter's fee that interpreting agencies charge as a commission, claiming the agencies take 30 to 50 percent of the fees while not doing any of the work. Another complained that there was no allowance for parking fees or for mileage, which are a problem for interpreters who live and work in rural areas. A Korean interpreter complained that the fee schedule is hopelessly removed from the market rates. He concludes that the new lower rates will serve a single purpose of benefiting the insurance companies. The chief objective of the proposal is to create a uniform fee structure, which the DWC said is based on the federal court system. Interpreters' compensation has become a thorny issue in California ever since amendments have been introduced in the labor code and other state laws over the past three years to curb the incidence of medical fraud. Last May, a group of interpreters even took the DWC to court over the new system of compensation. In June, the same group led the fight against allowing provisionally certified interpreters to work. If certified, legal and medical interpreters were not available, which the group claim has led to undercutting of fees. The regulation is also introducing a streamlined process for claiming payments, which includes detailed invoice information and billing codes.
And in other industry news, according to the 12th annual My Matrix Drug Trend Report, workers' compensation pharmacy spending decreased 3.3% in 2017. Drug spend on opioids declined 11.9% for workers' comp payers also in 2017. And opioid utilization declined for the seventh consecutive year as a result of aggressive clinical solutions and increased regulatory activity. Many states have acted to address the opioid crisis through a multifaceted approach involving state-specific formularies, opioid guidelines, and limits on initial opioid supply and morphine-equivalent doses. These factors resulted in a 74.2% of workers' compensation payers spending less on opioids in 2017 than in the prior year. While a decrease in the utilization of opioids is a positive sign for the workers' comp industry, there's still work to be done, according to the report. The research found dangerous drug combinations and long-term use of opioids still pose care and cost concerns. Nearly 40% of injured workers took an opioid along with a muscle relaxant, while 9% took an opioid and benzodiazepine, which is a tranquilizer, at the same time. Taking these medications together can increase the risk of side effects and death from respiratory depression. Additionally, the report noted that by the 11th year of injury, the cost per injured worker reached $3,400, with over 1,800 spent on opioid medications. Among those with age of injury of 10 years or more, over half filled an opioid medication in 2017. For the third year in a row, spending on compounded medications also decreased, a decline of 37.9% in 2017. Compounded medications continue to be a focus because of their high cost but it is clear that effective management strategies can reduce unnecessary costs and waste associated with clinically unproven ingredients. And generic fill rate increased to 85.6% across workers' compensation payers in 2017, yet payers could still have saved $80.8 million through an optimal mix of clinically appropriate generic options. The average cost of a physician-dispensed medication was $270, compared to $108 for a pharmacy-dispensed medication of the same kind. This means plans paid a $172 premium for physician-dispensed medications, which bypassed the pharmacist's review at the point of sale. CVS Health will introduce a new effort to help customers compare drug prices for more transparency at its pharmacy counters, a move that is expected to ratchet up pressure on the pharmaceutical industry and drug costs. Pharmacists have long advised patients on whether a drug is covered by insurance or whether a cheaper generic drug is available, but CVS admits a more robust effort is needed by its drugstores and pharmacy benefit business at a time an increasing number of patients are paying more out of their pockets for drugs. CVS said its new CVS Pharmacy 
uh, RX Savings Finder allows for a more seamless process, reviewing the patient's prescription regimen, medication history, and insurance plan information. It said that its prescription savings finder will show its pharmacists whether the prescribed medicine is on the preferred list of drugs in the patient's health plan formulary and whether the drug is indeed the lowest option. CVS has also introduced new ways doctors of their customers can see drug costs in real time through a program available in the physician's office that allows prescribers to pick lower cost medicines. And with that story, that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for Workers' Compensation News on Amazon. Again, I'm Renee Fols, an attorney with Floyd Skarin, Manukian, Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.